how we see ourselves influences how we respond to other people. The way we see ourselves influences how we respond to other people. To illustrate this point, I uh, recently saw a video of a cat who chased a bear up a tree. Right? You hear that and it sounds, uh, it sounds crazy. Here this cat is sitting at the bottom of this tree, meowing, and the bear is cowering in fear at the top of a tree. It's a ridiculous image, right? What makes it so absurd is that uh, the, neither one of them seems to see themselves as they really are. Right? If the bear could see the, the strength that he has, right, he would, he would win in a fight against a cat 100% of the time. And so if either one of these animals saw themselves as they were, they would have responded accordingly. Now, in our text today, we're going to see two different responses to Jesus. We will see that how we respond to Jesus depends on how we see ourselves. Do we see ourselves in relation to other people? Or do we see ourselves in relation to God? In our natural state, we are blind to the true condition of our hearts. We compare ourselves to other people, thinking that if I can stack up well against these other people, well then I can be righteous. We try to justify ourselves. We think of righteousness as a spectrum. So if I can just be good enough, then I'm a good person. While we might think of ourselves in good in relation to other people, have we really considered ourselves in relation to God? This is the great problem of our heart and one that we need to answer. Our text shows us that Christ came to seek and save the lost. But brothers and sisters, if we don't recognize that we are lost, we will fail to see him as the solution that we need. And so I will argue today that we must see ourselves as we are to respond to Jesus as we should. We must see ourselves as we are to respond to Jesus as we should. So now, uh, I uh, invite us to look to Luke chapter 19. Be reading chapter 19, 1 through 10. The words can be found in your bulletin. They can also be found on the, uh, in the Pew Bibles on page 1116. So however you have the words in front of you, I invite us to look at them now. He, being Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried 
and came down and received him joyfully. And when he saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Amen. Now, as we work our way just through understanding this text, I I want us to see the text in its fullness, and its entirety, to see the whole story. And so uh, I want to just recount what we just read. So it might be helpful for you to uh, still be having the text in front of you, still be looking. Um, I won't be reading it again, but just I want us to to recount this whole story. But first, we, we consider the context. Right? Jesus has been on his way to uh, Jerusalem. Right? We've been uh, on this journey a long time, if you've been following along in the sermon series. It's been since Luke chapter 9, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and now he's almost there. Jericho is not far from Jerusalem. And word is spreading, and the excitement about Jesus, uh, we can understand, is nearing its pinnacle. As the crowd has heard about Jesus, the crowd has been growing as they've seen him working and teaching. And soon he will enter Jerusalem to the sound of a multitude of his disciples saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Where we are in our story, the crowd is on the cusp of seeing Jesus for who he is. Last week we saw a blind beggar crying out, to to Jesus as the son of David. This is a recognition of Jesus as he is, the Messiah, the son of David, the, the one who will come and reign in righteousness on David's throne. And so now, this is where we are in the journey when we come to our text today. We, we see this man, Zacchaeus. We're introduced to Zacchaeus, and we read that he is a chief tax collector, Not only that, he is a rich man. Now, from the perspective of the Jewish people, they would read this and say, he is a traitor. He has sold our people out to the Roman Empire. That's how they read this. And so, uh, word has gone out about Jesus and Zacchaeus, this tax collector, this rich man, hears that he is coming and he desires to see him. But he can't see him because the crowd is too large. So uh, he, he runs up ahead of the crowd and he climbs up a sycamore tree in hopes that he might catch a glimpse of Jesus as he passes by. That's probably what he expected. He just wanted to catch a glimpse of Jesus. But Jesus doesn't just pass by. He comes right to Zacchaeus. Now this would be shocking if you were uh, one of the people in the crowd To think, Jesus, why are you going to this man, a sinner? And he goes to him, he says that he must stay at his house today. And Zacchaeus listens, he receives Jesus with joy. Now let us place ourselves in in the shoes of the crowd. Right? It is so easy for us to not want to identify with the crowd. 
uh, because we, we know that their response to Jesus is not right. Here's the Lord of heaven and earth, the Christ who has come. And they cast judgment against him. They grumble against him. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. But from the perspective of the culture, Jesus' behavior is scandalous. This is not the behavior they expect of the Messiah. Jesus, you're supposed to come and overthrow the Roman Empire. You're not supposed to uh, come and and, and be friends with those who who have sold our people out to the Roman Empire. That's the perspective that they have. And so, uh, one, one principle that uh, we want to be mindful of when interpreting uh, text, and especially, so when we're interpreting narratives like this, look for the place where the tension is at its highest point. This is usually where we're going to find, what is, what is the moral of the story? Look for that place where the tension is at its highest point. And here we have this tension between Jesus and the crowd. It is as if they are saying, Jesus, can't you see what kind of man this is? He is bad. Have nothing to do with him. He is selfish. He is corrupt. He cares for money more than he cares for his own people. These are the judgments I expect that they had against Zacchaeus. And then the tension is resolved in Zacchaeus' response. He responds in repentance, in faith. He gives what he has to the poor. And then Jesus says in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So we must see ourselves as we are to respond to Jesus as we should. Now, I want us to examine these two responses. We see this opposition or this, uh, this, this difference in response between uh, Zacchaeus and the crowd. The crowd responds by grumbling against Jesus, and Zacchaeus responds by faith and repentance. So, the question for us is what is the difference? What is the essential difference? What leads somebody to respond with grumbling against God? And what leads someone to respond with faith and repentance? There is one essential difference here in this text. Zacchaeus is aware of his sinfulness. He knows that he is lost. And the crowd is aware of Zacchaeus' sinfulness. They know that he is lost. but they are oblivious to their own hearts. The problem with uh, the crowd is that they look to Zacchaeus and then they, it's as if they're looking at a mirror back to themselves and they see, I am righteous, I am good, this man is not. And so they say, God, I thank you that I am not like this tax collector. I wonder if we would be guilty of this. Have you ever justified your sin by looking to the sin of of somebody who has sinned greater than you have? And you look and you say, okay, I know what I've done is wrong. I know my heart is not in the right place, but it's not like that sinner. At least I'm not that bad. 
we don't see ourselves as we truly are when we look only in relation to other people and we fail to look at ourselves in relation to God in his holiness, in his righteousness. And this is what we see here. This is what the crowd is missing. They are starting from the wrong place. They don't look to God as the standard, but they look to their own standard. They look to man's standard. That's why they grumble against Jesus. They see that they are more righteous than Zacchaeus, and they are saying, Jesus, can't you see that we are more righteous than Zacchaeus? Anyone can see it. It's obvious. Now, if our standard is by comparison to other people, brothers and sisters, we will tend towards self-righteousness. We must be on guard against this attitude of self-righteousness. This is not what Christ calls us to. And so if you find yourself seeking, to, uh, seeking justification by looking to other people, stop looking to other people and look to God. The world is constantly judging based on comparison. We know this in, in our own hearts. We, we have this tendency to want to compare ourselves to other people. And by the world standard, the only way that the world will judge whether someone is good or bad is by looking in relation to other people. And they, they think, where, where do you stack up in relation to all these other people? And that is how we judge. That is how the world judge, judges. And if we're not careful, church, we can subtly embrace this idea. And, and the problem is that it places all of the emphasis on the external. We look around to other people and we try to see, okay, how, how good am I, am I walking with the Lord? How, how uh, righteous am I? How good am I? Because we're looking around to the other people and comparing ourselves to other people. That is not what we are called to do. True righteousness is a work that God does in our hearts. It is an inward transformation. And yes, it produces an external reality, but but we must not mistake uh, false fruit for the true fruit of righteousness by Christ working in us. So let us not judge by external appearances. And it's, it's not only that the world judges individuals this way. The world judges good and bad this way as well. What they see is good and bad. The question is not whether something is good in itself. In its essence, the world is not concerned with knowing what is truly good. The world decides what it deems right and wrong based on comparison of opinion. As if morality is decided by majority vote. As long as the people around me agree with what I'm doing, then it must be right. But that is not the standard that we see in Scripture. In our natural flesh, we think that our prerogative is to decide what is good and evil. We don't decide what is good and evil. God is the one who judges rightly. So let us not look to man's standard, but to God, to God himself. If 
If the line between good and evil were, were to lie in the opinions of man, then we have no hope. No, the line of good and evil is not by the opinions of man, but it is a, a standard set out by God himself. He is the absolute standard and he is good. Church, let us not adopt man's standard as our own. Will we be faithful to meditate on the truths of this book and seek to apply them to our lives? Do not look to man for the standard. Look to God. And now this is what we see in the text. If you look to God, you will see yourself as you truly are. Consider Zacchaeus' response. He knows that he is lost. This is his true state, but let us ask ourselves, press it a little bit further, how did he come to this conclusion? How did he come to know that he is lost? It is through seeing Jesus. Jesus has come from God, and it, it shows that God is who he says he is. The Messiah is here, and he is here to rescue from sin and darkness and destruction and death. And so Zacchaeus is given sight to see the glory of God. That is the essential change that happens in Zacchaeus. So he sees that the world is not all that there is. And he goes from a man with his heart set on the world to a man with his heart set on heaven. That is what happens to Zacchaeus. We must learn to set our eyes on God. God alone is the standard of perfection. He is the source of all goodness. All things were made by him and through him and are flowing to him to show his glory. The universe cries out, God is glorious. God is glorious. And when we look to him, we have no choice but to recognize that we fall short of his glory. So it is in this light that comparison to other people is so foolish. We look to other people and we say to ourselves, I am a bigger and better piece of dust. Maybe that's true. Maybe you are a, a bigger piece of dust. You might even be a rock in the midst of a, a thousand people that are just dust compared to you, you, you big rock. But still, there is no comparing a rock to the immensity of the sun. And yet, the, the difference between a rock and the sun is smaller than the difference between us and God. You could be the most virtuous person to ever walk the earth apart from Christ, and you would still fall short of the glory of God. Do not look to other people. Look to God and you will know your true state. This is how we will see that we are lost. This is what we must see in the face of the glory of God. Fortunately, Scripture doesn't just leave us with this knowledge that we are lost. No, it tells us how to be found how to be reconciled to God. This is the great problem of our heart. It's our relationship to God 
This is the biggest problem of humanity. How can we be reconciled to God? And scripture tells us, and we see the glorious truth summarized and expressed so clearly in verse 10 of this passage. Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Christ came to seek and save the lost. This this is why Christ can say in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house. There is hope for salvation for the lost because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We are not capable of bringing ourselves from death to life. We aren't capable of bringing our blind eyes to see his glory. We aren't capable of living a life that would measure up to the glory of God. And so we need someone who can do what we cannot do. And now, brothers and sisters, this is the message of the entire Bible from beginning to end. It is that though we are darkened in our understanding, though we have rebelled against God, though we are lost with no hope, God promised that he would bring salvation. And we see this this promise traced throughout all of Scripture. And, And then this plan for salvation reaches its pinnacle in the person and work of Jesus Christ. A reality so gloriously expressed here, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Who else can say this? What else can say this? What else can save? There is nothing else. Jesus is the only one who can seek and save the lost because he is the only one to come down from above to bring the light of heaven into the darkness of earth. He's the only solution to our lostness. There's no solution in philosophy. No matter how much we uh, stretch the limits of our mind to to, uh, try to understand wisdom, we will fall short of the glory of God. The solution is not in politics. We might try to solve what we see as the greatest problems of the world, and yet we might be totally ignorant of the greatest problem in our own heart. It will not save. The solution is not even in religion. No amount of piety will make you right before God. In fact, it's not even in the teachings of Jesus himself. It's not in the moral teachings. We can try to live out the Sermon on the Mount. We can try with all of our might to love our neighbors as ourselves. And you know what? We will still fall short of the glory of God. It is Jesus himself. He is the one who came to seek and save the lost. So we must recognize our true state of lostness, and then we will see that he is the only solution because he is the only solution to come down from above. So now, we've seen that uh, we must see ourselves as we are, as we truly are before God. Now, how should we respond to Jesus? What, what is the right response? 
Well, once again, we look to the example of Zacchaeus. After hearing about Jesus, he sought to see him. Some of us here may have heard about Jesus. You, you may uh, have heard some of his teachings. You might agree with them. Maybe you're curious about him, and yet you have never actually seen him. You've never truly sought to see him as he is. If that is you, I encourage you to seek to encounter him here in the pages of Scripture, especially in the four gospel accounts where we are given the clearest window into the glory of God revealed in Christ. No one has seen God the Father, and yet the glory shines in the face of the Son, Jesus Christ, who has come from the Father and makes him known. It was while reading the Gospels that God gripped my heart. It was in reading the Gospels that God showed me with clarity for the first time that he really is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. If you are seeking the Lord, seek him here. Come read the Gospels. See Jesus. And whether you're exploring Christianity or you've been a Christian for many years, let us all seek to see Jesus as he is. And Zacchaeus does not only see Jesus, but he, he receives him joyfully. Now the word that is used in the text means that he receives him as a house guest. But I think we have reason to conclude that he receives him as more than a house guest. He receives him as Lord. He receives him as Savior. He, he says, Lord. That's how he addresses him, and he responds in repentance. This picture of what Zacchaeus is doing is a picture of repentance. And so the way that we ought to respond is, is not just to welcome Jesus as a house guest. We must welcome him as Lord and Savior. What would it look like in your life today to do this? To welcome Jesus as Lord and Savior. Everywhere we, in Scripture, we are called to faith and repentance. What does it look like today for you to respond with faith and repentance? When we see ourselves as we are and we see God as he is, we see that he is more glorious than anything else. And yet, in our, in our flesh, we continue to battle with sin. We continue to think that there are things that are more desirous than he is. Are there things today that are battling for your desire for God? Maybe you have said in your heart, as I once said in my heart, Lord, I will give you everything except this one thing. Please don't ask for this one thing. And so you're willing to, to see him as Lord and Savior over here, but, but you want to block off this section. Well, then I submit to us that we don't see him in his full glory. If we see him in his full glory, we will see that his steadfast love is better than life. 
So brothers and sisters, whatever God might call you to, however he might call you to respond, if he's asking you to give up sin or to give up something, he, he is far greater. So let us look to him. And this is the life of the believer, right? It's a life of continual faith and repentance. Daily coming to God to, to lay ourself aside, to die to our flesh and cling to him. And we do not obtain to the fullness of the glory of God here in this life. But brothers and sisters, we look forward to the fullness of the glory of God. And you know what? God in his wisdom has, has made it that the gospel produces fruit in us. When we look to him, when we see him with clarity, when we respond in faith and repentance, he grows our hearts to, to work the, the works of righteousness that he has laid before the foundations of the world that me, we might walk in them. So brothers and sisters, let us not do this in our own strength. If we understand our lostness and we understand his glory, then we know he is the source, he is the fountain, and we must do it in his strength. And so let us look to him, let us see him, and let us follow him. Let us uh, imitate Christ. Though he himself is perfectly righteous in every way, he does not lord his righteousness over anyone. He does not, uh, he does not uh, degrade us by his righteousness, but he comes as a servant. He comes as a guest of sinners. So we cannot lord our righteousness over anyone. We are not righteous except in him. If our response is pride, we need to see that our response is wrong. We have no reason to boast but Christ alone. Christ is willing to be a guest of a sinner like Zacchaeus. And this is our hope. He came to seek and save the lost. He is willing to be the guest of sinners like, like me and like you. So brothers and sisters, let us respond with humility. Imitate him in humility. And also let us uh, imitate his heart for the lost. This world is lost. We see this in the news. We see this all over. If you look around, even in, in the experiences that we have day to day, we recognize the world is lost. We watch people blindly building towers, hoping that theirs will measure up to his righteous standard. But they don't realize that no matter how tall their tower is in comparison to other people's tower, it falls short of the glory of God. The world walks in darkness, but here we have light. Christ has come to seek and save the lost. And as he was doing here in this story, he continues to do now. God continues to seek and save the lost through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And church, do you recognize? We have been made stewards of this message of hope and salvation. 
So what is our task? What must we do as we leave here today? How, how must we respond? Let us strive to see God as he is so that we may see ourselves as we are. When we see ourselves as we are, the, the, the depths of the sin and the darkness and the death, then we understand the extent of his grace. You see, as we grow in our knowledge of God, then we understand the gap between us, and it only grows as our knowledge grows. We see that it is an immense gap, and it, it is Christ alone who covers that gap. And so, brothers and sisters, our task is to grow in this knowledge, grow in our knowledge of God, grow in our knowledge of our own sinfulness, and see that Christ covers it all. He is glorious. Let us help others to see this glorious truth. Christ came to seek and save the lost. And as we leave here today, may we live in the light of the gospel.